Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Welcome. So glad to have you with us here today. I don't know what you've been thinking about all week, but I know there's a phrase that I've been saying, thinking about in my devotions, in my quiet times, in my worship time, and even just driving around in the vehicle. And that's just give me Jesus. Man, Pastor Ben, I got to tell you, thank you. Thank you for sharing with our church last week. Just give me Jesus. What a phenomenal message. If you didn't uh, jump online and listen last week, don't know what I'm talking about, I would highly encourage you to, to go listen. Pastor Ben, who's, who's Gabby's dad, who sings on our worship team, he shared an incredible message entitled, Just Give Me Jesus. Man, when you finished, uh, Pastor Ben, I, I didn't want it to be over. I was like, man, I just feel like I'm sitting at the feet of a, of a saint of God. And uh, the message was incredible, so thank you. I know I was blessed. I'm imagining the entire church family was blessed. Would you agree with me that it has been a difficult year, a wild year, a crazy year? I think you would agree with me, right? As a reminder of the obvious, COVID-19 essentially shut down the world back in about March. So many people have lost so much. People have lost lives, and that alone is tragic beyond measure. But also people have lost jobs, they've lost incomes, businesses have been lost, and even there has been this loss of normality for all of us. And if you're like me, you've been thinking, what's life going to be like in six months? What's life going to be like even in one year? What's life going to be like in two years? What will normal look like one day? Now, there are times when there are major crises where it has this unifying effect. I think about to, back to 9-11 when the, when the terrorists uh, uh, flew the planes into the Twin Towers. That had a unifying effect in our country where, where there was this season where it seemed like our country, we all stood together. On the other hand, this COVID-19 pandemic seems to have had the opposite effect. Instead of unifying us as a, un- as a nation and uniting us, it seems like we're more polarized and more divided than ever before. And in, a, in the midst of all this discord, discord and tension and disunity, even within the body of Christ, even within the body of Christ, we're having this disunity. Then, in the midst of all of this disunity, Then we experience the tragic deaths of Breonna Taylor, Armad Arbery, and George Floyd. So adding to the division that already existed, you now have more division and disagreement and anger and discord. And there is certainly no lack of opinions in this season, which is further exacerbating this this problem of disunity. And whether people are posting on their their social media accounts or whether it's through conversations people are having, there are just this this tension that exists with all of the current topics. I mean, you have right versus the left, conservative versus liberal, black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, defund the police, don't defund the police, cancel culture, keep the statues up, remove the statues, wear masks, don't wear masks, safety first, or freedom to choose first, gather for church services, 
or don't gather for church services, obey the authorities, or civil disobedience, or even a higher calling to obey God. Put our kids in school. Keep the schools closed. Open up the stores and the restaurants. Close them. Shut them down again. Resume sports. Don't resume sports. I mean, I got to tell you, I want football back. I don't know about you, but I do. And I, and I got to tell you, I, I'm now a Tampa Bay Bucks fan. All right, well, not really. But I am a Tom Brady fan. And now that he's on the Tampa Bay Bucks, I'm rooting for them. And, and so I'm hoping and rooting for, a, you know, a Dallas Cowboys-Tampa Bay Super Bowl. Come to think about it, they might be in the same division, so I guess that's not going to happen. But I'm telling you, I, I want my sports back but I don't know if there's going to be any games this season. There's a whole lot of opinions. And some of us are quite adamant about our opinions, even to the point of accusing those on the other side of the conversation of being maybe evil or just flat out wrong or they're uncaring or they're even a sinful There's this sense of self-righteousness that has elevated our judgment of others to an entirely new level. So I want to ask you a very serious question. I really want you to think about this. What do you think the devil is doing right now in the midst of all this discord? You know what I think? I think he's celebrating. And I think he loves this disunity and this division that exists. The devil is thrilled when our country is divided, but especially he is thrilled when the body of Christ is divided because he knows. He knows that when you and I, when we, when the body of Christ stands together, when Jesus' followers stand united in mission and in purpose and empowered by the Holy Spirit, man, we are unstoppable. But when we're divided, we become weak and we become ineffective and even overlooked in the world. And so it's in this vein, I want to share with you something that the Apostle Paul shared with the believers in Corinth. And he made an appeal to them, and I want to make the same appeal to you today. So turn in your Bibles or on your phones to the Version Bible app, if you go on your phone, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 10. And it says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you what? Maybe type that in right there on your phone or on, on your computer. That all of you what? That all of you agree with one another in what you say. The New Living says, live in harmony with each other. And that there be no what? Type it in. That there be no divisions among you but that you would be, let's say it out loud, wherever you're sitting right now, say this out loud, type it in, that you would be what? Perfectly united in mind and in thought. Or as the New Living says, united perfectly in thought and purpose. Paul says, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you that there would be no divisions in the family of God, that we would be united in thought and in purpose. The title of our message today is United We Stand. United We Stand. Now the word divisions in the Greek is the word schisma. Now does that sound familiar? We have our English word what? Schism, right? And it literally means a split, a division, a ripping, or a tearing apart. 
When we as the body of Christ let issues divide us from our primary mission and our primary purpose, we are essentially dividing Christ. We are tearing apart Christ. We are ripping apart the unity that God wants to exist among us. The unity that allows us to be a light in a very dark world. So Paul says, I beg you, I urge you, I plead with you, stand together as one. Don't let there be any divisions among you. Now, Jesus said it another way. I want you to turn to John chapter 17. We're going to pick up in verse 20. Here's how Jesus said it when he was praying for his disciples and for those who would one day follow him. And Jesus said this, John 17, verse 20. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, meaning they're the apostles, that all of them may be, what's the word? Say it out loud. That all of them may be one. In other words, everybody in the family of God would be one. Why? Jump ahead to verse 23. So that we may be brought to what? To complete unity. Now, what will happen if we, will, if we are all unified? Jesus goes on and says in that same verse, he says, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Verse 23, then the world will know that you, God, sent me and have loved them even as you love me. See, Jesus prayed to the Father that we believers, that we'd be one, that we'd be brought together in complete unity so that the world would know that God sent his son Jesus for them. Paul prayed that we would be united. Jesus prayed that we would be one, that we would be completely united. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we become one? How do we unify? What will unify the church? Well, it's going to take one enemy and it's going to take one mission or one message. What will unify the church? When we realize that we have only one enemy. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, you and I, we need to recognize that our battle is not against other people. It's not against others who think differently than us, or who have different opinions than us, but against, he says, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, the person who votes differently than you, they're not your enemy. The person who thinks differently about, about this virus and how to handle it, they think differently than you, they're not the enemy. The person who thinks differently about masks or church gatherings, they're not the enemy. The person who has a different opinion about opening businesses or schools or keeping them closed, none of them are our enemies. We have one enemy. He's the devil. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. Jesus called him the thief. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this thief comes only to do this, to steal, to kill, and destroy. The devil, Lucifer, Satan, the evil one, the, the, the thief, he wants to steal our unity. He wants to kill our churches. He wants to destroy our witness. Why? Because again, if you and I will stand united around the truth of Jesus, we're unstoppable to show the love and the grace and the compassion and the mercy of our Savior to a broken and hurting world. But man, when we're divided, we just become weak. 
we become ineffective. One of the most strongest unifying forces we have is to recognize we have a common enemy. One enemy. The ministry family life puts on a weekend to remember conference across the country throughout the year. Uh, Here at LifePoint, the first 10 years or so, we promoted it every year. I would highly encourage you to go if you've never been, or if it's been many, many years since you went, that you would maybe consider going this year or as soon as we're able to do that again. And in the very first talk that's given, the person on the stage has the spouses turn to one another and say this phrase looking at one another. To look at your spouse and say, you are not my enemy. You are not my enemy. You see, when a couple recognizes that they have one enemy, the devil, and not that person sitting right next to them, when they recognize that's the enemy, then they can be unified, working together to enhance their marriage, to grow their marriage, to improve their marriage. See, maybe God is calling some of us today to say to another, You're not the enemy. You're not my enemy. And maybe some of us need to do that actually face-to-face or over the phone call. Or maybe the person doesn't have any clue, but it's just something you have to say internally and you go before God and you say, God, this person who I've felt this way about, they're not the enemy. United we stand. What will unite us as followers of Jesus? One enemy, the devil. Not one another, not each other. What else will unify the church? What else will unify us? Not just having one enemy, but also having one uh, mission. Having one mission or, or one message. One mission, one message. That's what also unites us. In Jesus' last moments that he was with the disciples before he went back up to heaven, he gives his followers, which includes us, he gives us our divine assignment. He says, here's your calling Here's your mission. Here's your focus. This is what I want you united around. This is what I want you centered on. This is what I want you focused on. He said this, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, that's what you do. If you're a Jesus follower, that's what you do. That's what I do. That's what we're called to do. That's who we are. That's our mission. That's what we stand for. That's what we're about. That's our calling. And the way that we verbalize that here at LifePoint, that mission, we simply say it this way, is that that we point people to Jesus. We point people to life in Jesus. We help people to know and to experience the life-giving love and grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. I want you to think about this. Our love for Jesus and his life-changing, heart-transforming message, isn't that something we can all agree on? Oh, you bet. Absolutely. So let's rally around that. Let's rally around that message and that mission because united we can stand behind this one mission to make disciples and see, if we're, you and I are going to point people to Jesus, and then we've got to love each other. Starting right here with the family of God, we've got to love each other. Part of making disciples is loving one another. In fact, in the Bible, there's only one example 
of how the world, those who aren't Jesus followers, how they are going to know that we are followers of Jesus. Only one example in the Bible, and it's this. My love for the body of Christ. My love for the body of Christ. And that takes precedence over everything else. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, a new command I give you. He's talking to his disciples, to Jesus' followers. And he says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If my disciples love other disciples. Imagine if the world would talk about Jesus followers by saying things like, man, it's mind-blowing how those Jesus followers treat each other by the way that they care about each other. They're always full of grace and always full of compassion. And oh my gosh, these Christians, I, I don't really believe in everything they believe, but they are always doing the most compassionate, grace-filled, generous, loving thing that I've ever seen to each other and to our community. Paul said this, and it's so important. Romans chapter 15, he said, verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Verse 6, why? So that with what? Let's, Let's notice a couple key words here. So that with one mind and with one voice that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that? I mean, like practically, like every day you go to work, you're on social media, you're dealing with, you know, uh, complicated people and and, and there's, there's all the pain and there's all the anger and there's all the disunity in our country, all the issues. How do we be united in one mind and in one voice? Well, Paul went on to explain it. Verse 7, Romans chapter 15, he said, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You want to glorify God? Then accept one another. And in fact, that Greek word for accepting one another, it means to open your arms and take a person to yourself. It means to embrace somebody. It means I'm going to pull you towards myself. I want you to feel my love. I want you to know that you belong, that you matter, that I care about you. And I care about you more than I care about my own rights or my own freedoms. You see, the Apostle Paul had to help the Corinthian believers understand what it meant to accept one another and to love one another in the midst of them having strongly different opinions on a particular subject. How do you stay unified in the midst of that? So I want to read this passage. I'm going to start to read it, and then I'm going to explain it a little bit more as we go through this, and we're going to see the principle behind it. So we're going to pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Remember, there's, this is the Corinthian church, and they have strong opinions on really two different sides of the topic. And it says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, Now regarding your question, because they had written Paul a question about food that had been offered to idols. Paul says this, Yes, We know that we, quote, all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Did you catch that? It's love that strengthens the church, Paul said. Verse 2, I love this verse. Anyone who claims to know all the answers 
doesn't really know very much. I mean, that, right? Anyone, if you claim you, you got it figured out and you know what Paul's saying, you don't know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Man, it seems like we all are working with a different set of facts today, right? Haven't you figured that out by now? We assume that those who don't agree with us must be listening to fake news. So we all think that we have, quote, what Paul's talking about, we all have knowledge about what is going on. Whatever the specific topic is, which, you know, I addressed a lot of those right up front. But Paul says knowledge isn't the key to unity. Paul says what strengthens, what unifies the church is our love for one another. Paul goes on and he says this. He says, if you think you know the answers and you know, he says, what does he say? He says, he says you don't know squat. Actually, that's the Chris paraphrase, right? That's the Chris paraphrase. Paul proceeds to talk about this specific topic that they were dealing with. And in the first century, animals were sacrificed in worship of false gods. They didn't think, of course, they were false gods, but they were. And then after those animals had, the sacrifice had taken place, the animals' meat would be sold in the local marketplace. Well, certain Jesus followers started thinking they couldn't go to the local meat market to buy meat because that meat had been used in a, in a worship service to a false god. It, didn't, it just didn't sit well with their spirit, with their conscience. Other believers were like, ah, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. It's just me. That, they're false gods. None of that matters. God doesn't care. We can buy the meat. We can eat the meat. And so it created a division within the Corinthian church. They were divided. They didn't have unity on this topic. And that specific topic in 1 Corinthians 8, the Corinthians were basically saying, Paul, tell us who's right. Tell us how to handle this. What do we do? How do we move forward with this? And so Paul in the next few verses basically tells those whose conscience didn't care if they ate the meat, Paul told them, he said, I need you, I want you, God's calling you to be sensitive to those to whom it's a big deal. Think about them. Consider them. Don't wave your freedom on this issue in their face. In their face. And again, he's talking to believers in a church, not to those outside the church. Well, let's pick up what he goes on and says. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says this. But you must be careful so that your freedom, again, he's saying you're free to eat the meat. So he's talking to those who, they're free to eat it and they're good with it. He says you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your, quote, superior knowledge on this topic, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? Verse 11. So because of your superior knowledge, a weaker believer for whom Christ died will be what? What's the word? Will be what? Will be destroyed. Verse 12. And when you sin, this is interesting what Paul calls this. When you, what's the word? When you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So what if I eat, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I'll never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Now, 
we don't have this exact scenario today. I mean, nobody told, has told me that if I eat you know, Taco Bell, I'm going to hell or something, right? You know, we don't have that today. But I think there's a principle in this that we can all, as Jesus followers, apply to our lives. And by the way, don't get caught up in this passage with the, the weaker, stronger language and who is who, well, I'm a weaker, I'm a stronger. Don't get caught up in that. In fact, the reality is in our current climate where we all think we're right, where we all think we have the, you know, the superior knowledge, we all think we're the stronger ones, the more mature ones, that we have knowledge that others don't have. And why do I think that? Why do I think we're kind of all in that, that boat right now? Well, let me ask you this. Have you said out loud or at least thought this about somebody else? If they only knew what I know, if they've only learned what I've learned, if you've thought that or said that, you're you're trying to equate yourself with the one who has the, quote, superior knowledge. So let's not get wrapped up in that because we're all in that category. So the reality is, what's the principle? The principle is this, in God's eyes, because he's talking about this freedom to eat meat or not eat. In God's eyes, your rights, my rights, your freedoms, my freedoms, aren't the number one value. Did you catch that? I know it's a huge value as Americans, and that's great, and I love our freedoms, and I love our rights, and I'm glad we live in America and we have those. But God is saying, that's not your number one value. Paul says, love for others takes precedence over our rights and freedoms. Love for others takes precedence over our rights and our freedoms. My love for you, my care for you, my concern for you takes precedence over what I have a right to do or be or say or the freedom that I have. Unity can occur when, our regard, when we have regard for others first. Love for my brother and sister or brother or sister in Christ takes precedence over my rights or over my freedoms. And that's how with one mind, with one voice, we glorify God. That's how we accept one another, opening our arms to one another. Others first. Others first. In fact, Paul went on to describe it this way. He said in Romans chapter 15, he said, accept one another. How? Just as how, just as Christ accepted us or accepted you. Now think about it for a moment. How did Christ accept you? I mean, really, how did Christ accept you? How did he accept me? Well, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. It says, while we were still sinners. In other words, when you and I deserve nothing but punishment, that's all we deserved, nothing but punishment and judgment. In the midst of that, Romans 5, 8 says that Christ died for us. He loved us so much that even when we were imperfect, even when we were unrighteous, even when we were still sinning against a holy God, in the midst of that, God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, in our place for our sins, for the sins that we should die for ourselves. That's how God accepted us in Christ. And if that's how God accepts us in Christ, in our sin, then we can easily accept others who see things differently than us, who have a different perspective, who have a different opinion. Right now, we're a nation that is becoming more untied, unraveled, divided, ripped apart. Why? Well, is it possible 
I mean, is it possible that so many people are kind of caught up in this arrogance where they think their perspective, their opinion on whatever the specific current topic, they think their opinion, their perspective is the way. That their knowledge is superior to others. And if others only knew what they know, don't miss it. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. And our perspectives about current situations and current circumstances, they're going to vary greatly. And we're going to see things differently. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. But we can be unified around the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the one who changes lives. Type it in, amen. Jesus is the Son of God. And He is the one who changes life. Lives. And it's not our opinion on a current topic at hand that changes lives. The early church, man, their focus was on inviting people into our relationship with Jesus. That Jesus would come in and He would change people's lives. And as more and more people in that first couple centuries gave their life to Christ, the world began to change around them. Why? Because Christ's values and way of life were being put on display in the lives of His disciples. And more and more people became disciples. And more and more people saw and were exposed to the fact that God loved them. Because He saw Christians, us, loving each other and loving others who weren't yet even Jesus followers. I want to read a passage. And it starts off this way in Ephesians chapter 4, and it says this. In light of all this, I like that. Kind of like, here we are. We're ready to wrap up the message. In light of all this, Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, he was in jail when he wrote this. He said this, I said, I want, he, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want you, any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want any of you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. So he says, I want you to get out and I want you to live the mission of Christ. And then he says this, and mark that you do this with, if it's on your screen, will you notice what it says? Even say it out loud. Mark what you do with what? Humility and discipline. Humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring, catch this, steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences. It exists, right? The differences are there. Alert at noticing differences, but here's what we do. But being quick, at mending fences. And then in verse 4, he says, you are all called. He's talking to believers right now. He says, you're all called to travel on the same road, the same direction, and to stay together, both outwardly, and I love that he says this, and inwardly. It's not just putting on a show outward, but inwardly. We're unified with the body of Christ. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with what? Oneness. It's all permeated with oneness. So I beg you. I plead you. I plead with you. I urge you. I urge you for the one who gave it all for us. Can we get this right? I mean, come on, church. Let's do this. Let's be united in thought and in purpose. 
We have one enemy, and it's the devil. Your enemy is not the person with a different opinion or perspective or even has a different set of facts. The war is not the left versus the right. It's not mask versus no mask. It's not, you know, meeting again as a church or at a church building or not meeting in a church building. It's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. One enemy, the devil. And one mission, making disciples. One mission, making disciples, pointing people to life in Jesus and doing all this with a tremendous amount of humility and grace and love where love takes precedence even over my rights and my freedom. Accepting one another, especially those who don't think like us, look like us, talk like us, dress like us, vote like us. And God is calling us together. As the Ephesians passage says, travel, let's travel the same road. Let's go in the same direction. Let's stay together outwardly and inwardly. Let's focus on unity, oneness. United we stand. And this is a message that's not meant for just this Sunday. This is a message for this season. No matter how much long, no matter how long, much longer this season lasts, that we focus on being united in thought and in purpose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you humbly, recognizing Jesus that while we were sinners, you died for us, that you gave your life for us. And you told us, Jesus, you want us to love others as you have loved us. And so you're calling us, God, to that same self-sacrificial love that we would die to ourselves, which means, God, we're even willing to allow our rights and our freedoms to take second place to our love for others. So God, help us figure out what that looks like and what that means. This is just broaching the subject and the topic and there's so much here, God, and what does it look like? And I get that, God. I understand that. But God, help us not lose sight of this principle. God, that we would be people. We would be Your people who love one another. That the world would know that we're Your followers because we love one another. And we love the world. We love all those we come in contact. So Lord Jesus, I ask You that You would unify us in oneness. That we would stand together, unified, as one, as the body of Christ. Recognizing we have one enemy and we have one mission. Pointing people to Jesus. Help us, God, pursue that above all. I ask for this and I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.